I'm not stray. Yeah, he, he, no, he, he definitely did. What up, my guy? What up, man? What up, boy? Uh-oh. boy. Hey, oh, up, the five star. Oh, no, man. No, man. Hey, I'm low key. Jay, I'm low key. The first time I met Jay Will, too, though, I sized him up. I was like, shit, hold on. I did. You know, because his little, he's strong as hell, right? He's not going to do it. I know. I'm not here on one leg. I'm like, come on, man. I don't want that. I got a little bit. I want that in my life. I'm like, I got a little bit more, dog. Hey, it took us one night at the Double Tree Bar. Yeah. And we were boys from then on. Yeah. It was like one, yeah. one long ass conversation. We're going to talk about it. He kind of told me about that. Yeah, yeah it was like, real though. Like, that's how yeah. we got tight. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. how we got tight. Hold out. Limitless. Take a cap pin in it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. On the mission, get me up. No one me, I got the key. On the vision, I can trust. Trust. Limitless. Take a stomach cap pin in it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. On the mission, get me up. But first of all, thank you for coming. Uh, Jay Will, welcome to The Pivot. Obviously, this is Channing. I'm RC. We're, we're missing Fred. Fred had to take a trip. And so for us, we didn't necessarily want to do a show that we felt like wasn't complete. And if we were going to decide to do a show, it was first going to be a story that is worth telling. Uh, it had to be a person that was good at telling the story and that could communicate something to people that not only that we learned, and we felt, but that our subscribers and our viewers were able to learn from. And I think lastly, we had to feel like anybody who sat in the seat that Fred would be sitting in could be a member of the pivot. And that's why we chose Jay Will, two-time player of the year in college at Duke, a national champion, number two overall pick. Uh, as I get away- A lot of seven, six Chinese people in the draft, in every draft. It's, it's to... only one. Actually, his name was Zhao. Yeah. And when Still salty. now, father, uh, married to Nikki, amazing businessman, absolute phenomenal analyst, and more importantly, he's my friend. And so DraftKings, happy dad. Thank you guys for sponsoring us. Remember, continue to subscribe, hit the like button, and comment. And I think Jay Will, we're going to get the elephant out the room, and not the way <laughs> Baker Mayfield said the elephant was in the room. <laughs> on the Heisman commercial when Roll Tide was doing, when Derrick Henry and them was on the lawn and Bryce Young picking up Devontae Smith. Like the true, it's not an elephant in our room because, or for you, because you addressed it head on. Uh, I just watched again your video on Instagram and speaking about Kyrie and, and buck breaking and the way that as a community, we have been taught that there's very little requirement and contrition that needs to be used or that is asked of you when you insult the black community. Mm -hmm. But it seems like every other community is afforded uh, more compassion, more empathy, more sympathy as Kyrie has been punished. I'm just gonna start and ask you this question. Doing our job, I get how hard it is to stand on a limb that mm -hmm. no one else is willing to stand on. Uh, a lot of times, and I've seen it since you posted your video, there are a lot of people who dribble basketballs who said what Kyrie did was wrong, and then kind of after you said something, everybody, he should play, he should be able to play. What made you stand the where you stood and the way you stood so early on in Kyrie's, I guess, the, the saga after he posted from Hebrew, Hebrews to Negroes? Number one, I know Kyrie. I don't know him 
extremely well, but there is a, a brotherhood, a lineage that I think those principles need to be stood upon. I mean, he's from Jer Jersey. I'm from Jersey. He went to Duke. I went to Duke. I've gotten a chance to converse with him on multiple occasions and have very thoughtful conversations. I think I recognize Kyrie's intent, and I also see the purpose that he's striving for. You know, this is such a complicated conversation that I almost felt like it was a disservice to try to have this conversation on a first take platform or even my show or any platform, right? It, it had to be something that it should have been thoughtful. Details and being descriptive of those nuances deserve our time to think through. Because I think how you position something is very important. And for me, being from Jersey, we always call, like my friends, we call each other the UN, right? I mean, we got, I got Jewish friends, I got black friends, I got Latino friends, I got Asian friends from all over the world, right? And we have a lot of these conversations on our text chains while we're watching games, all this stuff. And I've recognized throughout my time growing up is that how I say something to you, RC, might be different than the way I need to say something to you, Janet, or maybe different than the way I need to say something to Alicia, or maybe different than the way I need to talk to my mother, who's a strong black woman, or my friend who's Asian, right? Like, you have to position conversations differently. And for me, I didn't agree with how Kyrie took the opportunity. Took what opportunity? Did? So it was more so off the gate which was like my first reaction. But on first take, I didn't really get a chance to even have time to dig deep because I actually wanted to plant a seed, which I'll tell you about in a minute. It was more so about when you come to the podium for me, the way I would have advised any of my friends to do this is if you're going to post this and I watched the whole video, my first question I had to anybody that had a comment on it, did you even watch it? Mm -hmm. So straight off the bat, like, that was the first question I asked everybody. You'd be amazed at how many people, oh, I didn't watch, I just read excerpts. I'm like, oh, so you, you didn't formulate your own opinion, but you going on national TV and being very descriptive about how you feel, which is a problem I had with the news in the first place. You know, news back in the day used to be the news yes. and then a smaller segment on maybe how you felt about the news. Now it's about how you feel, and then the news is a backstory to how you feel, right? Because your emotion elicits things going viral. So I felt a lot of people's emotions to other people's reactions gave them their own reaction that they articulated. But if I were to advise Kyrie, I would have said, hey, when you go to the podium, right out the gate, if there was anything in the film that you disagree with, state that real quick, right? If there were little tidbits about Hitler and you know talking about the Holocaust never occurred, like take care of that right away. Diffuse that topic, because I know you. I know your character. You don't agree with that. And then talk about what you learned and talk about this exploration that you have and what you're trying to find out about your black heritage. Because, brother, I'm on that same journey. I'm on that same path. I think a lot of us are. We're trying to understand where our origins are. When people say, what's up, king? Like, what does that mean? You know, understand your power and your voice and yourself. So when I saw him get into that spat with Nick Ferdell about the word promotion, I'm like, don't take the bait. But I also understand that Kyrie, there's a history there. It's not just about this posting. It's about the pandemic. Mm -hmm. It's about a battle that he's in with Josiah. It's about the battle that he feels like he's being forced to do something or he has to explain himself. And I think that's difficult for Kyrie. I'm not under the same kind of intensity and pressure that Kyrie is 24-7 to answer to something. And I think that's challenging for him. 
But I think there was a slightly missed window there that he could have done differently that maybe would have diffused the situation. So not what he said is not it's what he didn't say. It's what he didn't say. But I also understand how the trick of the media, man, it's a lot of uh, you see this, now you don't. Right. right? And how that just gets spearheaded towards something polarizing. And people already wanted to attack him. Yeah. People are already on it. Like I was the only one on TV talking about, hold on a second, he's not the only one who isn't vaccinated now. There were a lot of other players in other sports, baseball, football, basketball, that didn't receive the same amount of heat that Kyrie did. Mm -hmm. But since the municipalities are different in New York City, he almost became the face for the unvaccinated. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's wrong. I'm not going to allow you guys to sit up here and attack him because he's standing on something that he just needs more time to figure out what he wants. And we're going about the conversation the wrong way. It's not about yelling. It's not about criticizing and getting likes for the sake of just people. Are you trying to really talk to him? Are you really trying to talk to him and try to understand where he's coming from? So I think for me, dealing with it, taking time to think about it, I was like, man, I'm going to tell my truth. I think that was, it was really hard for me, man, because I got, I got three mouths to feed. We just had my, my third child, my daughter, Penelope, was born a month and a half ago. I live in a predominantly Jewish town right now. Um, my wife is Lebanese and Italian. I knew people were going to question my blackness throughout the process, but it was just what felt right, man. It was what felt right because it got to a point where it felt like it was being done for media purposes. Mm -hmm. I was like, hey, we're just gonna add fuel to the fire. When I knew, like, yo, Shaq, you promoted this movie in your theater, man. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna go on national TV and say that, but. Yeah. Did you know before, like. I read about it. But did you know that the backlash was gonna be what it was? For me? Were you surprised by the, the, yes. the, what came of it. Yeah. I got a lot of things in motion, business-wise, for where I want to be. I have a lot of partners. And frankly, for me, like, that was on the line. It was on the line. So it's like, you know, got stuff you sell on the platforms, got a content company, um, got other investments that I'm doing as it relates to the RIA business, register investment agents, and risk mitigation and insurance, and I got a lot of other things out there. So for me, I could, I could, I could lose it. I, could, I still can. But it was worth it for me to stand on my principles Yeah. Why? in that moment. That was the question I had. I asked, I asked you about it. Why? Because you even said it in, in, the, in, the, uh, in your Twitter, your Twitter video that sent mm -hmm. out that we, you know, we have all watched the Instagram video that you sent out. You said, I could lose my job for this. And you just said it. You have mouths to feed. Why was it worth it to, to come out and tell your truth and tell what you see as you felt another black man was in a situation that he should not be in? Why? I used to think a lot of times my gift was to play a sport. And then when I almost passed away and I couldn't play that sport anymore and I got involved in media, I started to learn the gift of gab and how to communicate and how to activate my own story to build more connective tissue with human beings or people. And I've been on a 
long haul of a journey to do that. And I thought the opportunity presented itself for all that equity that I had built about my story and how we're all the same to also double down on about how I also feel that I'm different and help people empathize with what our everyday plight is and about some of the challenges that come along with that. And I thought it was an opportunity that, frankly, I was left here for. Like, I feel like that's a part of my purpose, man. Like, I, I really honestly, like, there's nobody that said I had to be here after the age of 21 years old. And I think now having the platform, being on the show, talking to people like you and seeing how you inspire, like, words can inspire. And how you, I had so many Jewish people reach out to me after that to say I never thought about it from that perspective. Mm -hmm. And I use that as a door opening opportunity to say, okay, now tell me about your perspective. And build that, that's why I use that critical word. It's time for us to exchange, right? Like I've seen a lot of exchange over the last several years. Like I've seen Jewish people protest, yep. you know, for George Floyd. Like I've seen a lot of that battle. But there's a lot of underlying things that I sometimes feel like in the black community, other people don't know because they haven't spent the time to really understand. They've been a part of big things that have happened and you've shown your camaraderie with us, but are you truly taking the time to try to understand and empathize? And that was a moment that I took as, it's like words we use, like, oh, that's a failure, or it was an opportunity, man. It was a learning opportunity for all of us to exchange. And that's why I thought that word was powerful. You know, you, know, you talked about having mouths to feed and also you're saying your purpose. We do the same job and we, we work on many of the same shows. We get the production, you know, you have your production meeting or they, or they send you the rundown and you know what you're going to talk about. And you have all these thoughts running through your head before you sit down. And so many times you finish talking or they're saying, okay, now it's Stephen A or now it's Perk or it's Keyshawn or whatever, and you aren't finished talking. Hmm. And you actually haven't gotten out the point that you want, right? And, and then you start to receive backlash on what truly is an incomplete thought. Hmm. And then now you, you go to your Instagram and I felt like, at least to me, that was the, the second statement, right? Your, your response to the backlash was the actual purpose. But it started with you defending Kyrie. Why in that moment was Kyrie worth putting your livelihood on the line for the three miles you have to Because it wasn't, it wasn't just Kyrie. Mm -hmm. It's us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. It's different. And it was creating a path of hypocrisy that I really have felt this way for a long time, man. You know, we joke around with Grant Hill, right? How many times I was called an Uncle Tom? I've been there. Growing up, like I watched my dad, one of 10, 
from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Everybody in their family went to college. It was a monumental achievement for my Nana. My Nana would talk about it with pride. And like education was a really big thing. So you can be prepared in moments to articulate what you're feeling and also be successful in the world like because knowledge is power. And for me, I think there was a lot of lack there of knowledge in how challenging it is a lot of times to be black. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I know y'all felt this shit. There's so many times I'm the only black guy in a room and I'm supposed to feel so comfortable. And we talk about tropes, we talk about stereotypes. Oh, well, Jay's, you know, the guy, two-time national player of the year. I'm like, well, I'm way more than just hooping. Like, I actually graduated from school in three years. Do you want to lead? Does that want to be your headline statement? But it was like, oh, this is, here's the reason why he's in the room. It's like other people's justification. I'm like, no, I belong in this room. But that takes a while to get to. So for me, it was more so along the lines, RC, about like, no, I want people to understand how different it feels and how I feel like other people get a lot more leeway. And now what we're asking Kyrie to do is way overboard because we haven't asked that of other people. Right. But maybe we need to start yeah. asking that of other people. You mentioned about being in the room. We had to do a Zoom with Proctor and Gamble. And they were asking us certain questions. And Channing said, whenever I'm invited to an event or I have a speaking engagement, I never say thank you when I show up. I say you're welcome. He said, because I'm here because I've earned the right to be here. You asked me to be here. I'm not, I'm not here because I snuck in. I didn't steal a ticket. And I think that's a thing that a lot of young black men feel as if they are blessed to be in this room. No, everybody in this room's here for a reason. And I try to articulate that to my high school players. I coach football and I tell them the same thing. You're welcome. I showed up. You're welcome. And I think, and, and, and it sounds yeah. cocky, it sounds arrogant, yeah, but it's real. It's real. Yeah. You're welcome. And I think that's the thing that black men don't really do. We feel blessed to be around billionaires. We feel blessed to be around CEOs, CFOs, C COOs. No, I am just as successful as you. If I've walked into this room because football put me there, because basketball put you there, football put you there, but it's bigger than that. And that's something that I try to articulate to every young black man I meet, bro. Can I, you're, you're welcome. Can I ask you guys, what did you guys think of the Kyrie situation? The situation is very nuanced. Right, which was why I had to go study the film before I said anything. And I was never asked. Hmm. The, the, first thing, the first thing I ever put out was after having time to digest it, having time, and I did, I'll be honest with you, I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched clips, I read, I, I can be honest about that. I wanted to know what was anti-Semitic about it. Because I truly didn't understand, which is why when you talked about exchange and having conversations, I was like, I would love to be a part of those conversations. Unlike you, I grew up in Louisiana. I don't know a lot of mm. Jewish people. You know, I, I, I didn't have a lot of friends who could educate me on their backgrounds, on their, the adversities that were faced, not necessarily by them only, but their ancestors or their, their grandparents in generations. And 
the only thing I thought was this. I don't believe that posting about something or promoting something leads to saying that everything that was in that promotion is your thought. I don't believe it's championing that thought. I did think how you said Kyrie could have dispelled or said, there are things I don't agree with, here is what I don't agree with. I don't even necessarily think he had to say that. I thought what could have helped him and what I would have liked to hear is what I want to hear from anybody who offends the African-American community. I don't, I never intended, people who are truly unaware, not real racist mother effers, mm -hmm. people who are truly unaware, I want to hear, I never intended to offend you. But if I did, tell me how. Make me aware of the pain and the hurt that I have caused. Because if my actions have caused any hurt and pain, that's not what I wanted to do, right? And I think that simply says, this is not the reason I watched the film. I watched the film for me. The things that I saw in the film were things that I was searching for me. But if any of me searching for a piece of myself offends you, that was never my intention, and I'm sorry for your hurt. I'm not sorry for my actions because you only have to be sorry if my intentions were the outcome. Hmm. But I am sorry for your hurt. I do need to be more aware. And I talked to Tanning about this too. We all have different things that affect us different ways, Jay. And if you tell me, if I say something to you and you're like, RC, like, I don't like that. You know what I'm saying? And it may be something about just how I am. I may just talk like that. I may get loud when I talk or I may cuss or whatever it is. And if you tell me, RC, man, like, I don't really like being cussed. Mm. And now, in the next conversation we have, I still say F you, that's on me. Because now I know, but initially it's not. Because initially I didn't know that this would offend you. Or I didn't know that it would hurt you. Or I did, or that was never my intention. But if I tell you, Jay, I got you. I'm aware of that now, man. I apologize for doing it the first time. Won't happen again. We good. And I just think that Kyrie could have been and listen to you talk about like the history of like the reporters and how you feel him being on edge. And I also feel like people attacked him because it was Kyrie. If LeBron James does that, that doesn't happen. It's Kyrie's, it's Kyrie's like past. This is history. It's the fact that he saged the arena in Boston. That it's people, all flat, that people flat, somehow the think, earth, the flat earth yeah, people think he's all, strange. Yeah. And because they think he's strange and he's done some things, they attack him like the COVID thing in a way that I don't feel is fair. I feel like they are not speaking about his current action. They're speaking from a point of how they feel about it. And in our jobs, that's unfair. And I feel like he was unfairly attacked for this. RC's point, my wife forced me to watch it. Because it's three and a half hours. It's a no, long it's ass. It's a long time. It's a yeah. long documentary. I, I think they took it, the anti-Semitic side of it was taken he was looking for his religious background. Christianity was forced on slaves to give them something to hope for. And we all know that. That's why you have Negro spirituals. That's yes. why you have hymnals. And, yeah, all that stuff. Like, we knew that. And he's just looking for more, looking for clarity. And to your point, it's not what he said or did. It's what he didn't say. It's what he didn't explain uh, firsthand. Because as I watched it, and as my wife started running in a room when I'm watching a football game and saying, hey, pause the game. And she was showing, showing me different things on, on, on that documentary. 
it opened my mind as well. And I appreciate Kyrie for that. But that's that that was the point that I think, and that's why I asked you earlier about it. Kyrie didn't explain fully what he was doing that for. And whatever they took from it, they took the negativity from it. But what's what was the positivity that came out of that? Because I was enlightened, Jay Will. Well, I, I was enlightened from that. And to me, the, the biggest point out of all of this is that there is this uprising of interest in where we come from as black people. Like, that's okay. You can be pro-black without being anti-anything else. You can be that. You, you can have the drive and determination to understand about our history and try to empathize and try to articulate the people about the, the pain that's been inflicted upon our people for a very long time. And I feel like that point has just, it just got missed in the way this has blown up. I mean, it's blown up. I mean, even what they say always, the best way to, to speak to a degree some truth is through humor. I mean, even like humor should be the one thing where it feels like nobody's off limits. It's even it seem, away. Yeah. It even seemed like what happened with Dave Chappelle yeah. and how he went about it and how that, that, that's a form of attack. And you're sitting there saying, well, that's, I've watched him talk about, you know, Bigsby, the, what is that, the white black Clayton supremacy? Bigsby. Yeah. <laughs> black right? supremacists. And people were laughing at that. That was funny. Yeah. White people, Asian people, black people. Yeah. Did anybody ask how that made us feel? Right. No, it was humor. Mm -hmm. Right? So it's, it's just, once again, it's so complex. It is. It's so challenging to dig into each topic that people just don't want. We don't spend time on topics anymore, which goes back to that original question. Did you even watch it? Yeah. A lot of people didn't even watch it. Now that we're about halfway through the football season, hopefully you've got an idea how teams stack up against one another. So why not add a little fun into the mix? Today's video sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is dishing out an awesome offer for all their new customers. All new customers need to do is sign up using promo code PIVOT, bet $5 on any pregame money line wager, and receive an additional $200 in free bets if your bet cashes. That's right, new customers who bet at least $5 on any team to win straight up will get an additional $200 in free bets if their bet hits. Plus, with same game parlays, you can combine multiple bets on the same game to give yourself a shot of even bigger winnings all season long. For those in states where sports betting is not yet available, don't forget about DraftKings Daily Fantasy, where they have been innovating even more ways to win some cash this football season. And don't forget, the basketball season tips off soon, and DraftKings has tons of ways for you to get in on that action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. New customers use promo code PIVOT and receive $200 in free bets if their pregame Moneyline bet hits after placing a $5 wager. That's promo code PIVOT only at DraftKings Sportsbook. When you look at how to move forward, you just made a very important point, and I just want to give my thoughts on it. You spoke about being pro-black and not being anti-anything. A large part of our perceptions of anything that we read, that we see, that we experience, is our experiences. The reason that seeming pro-black would have to be anti-anything is because throughout history, whenever someone was pro a race, 
they were anti everything else. Hmm. White power did not mean black power or doesn't equate to black power. What white power was, was that my skin color alone makes me superior to everyone else. And because they feel that way about it, then, oh, black power must mean the same thing. Being pro-black must be the same exact thing as being, being pro-white was. Because being pro-white meant that if it's not white, it's not right. Where it's a very different thing. But when you come from that frame of mind and that perspective, you think everybody else is like you. Oh, if they love, if they love this, they can't love anything else. And I think a lot of times that's the issue of not being able to have conversation. Because if you ask me, I'd explain it to you. The same way that throughout history, in America, they've explained to us what white people have thought the whole time. Hmm. What they've done, what they've experienced, what they've been through, what they've created, what they've stolen and made their own. And I think for, for us, that's where the search begins because you've never tried to teach us about where we come from and how that can be as beautiful as where you do. But in, in but thinking- to that point, RC, oh. the Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter conversation, that's what I thought of. All lives do matter. Yes, they do. Black they do. We just said Black Lives Matter too. <laughs> they matter too, but when you've been marginalized and you're 400 years behind, the, the white race, why can't you put that on a pedestal? Why can't you celebrate the black culture? Why can't you celebrate the black heritage? And why can't you search for what that black heritage is? And that's what I articulate to people when the, that, that conversation, all lives matter, black lives matter thing. Listen, we're just saying, can we be equal to the white power, black power? We're not trying to take over the world. We're trying to right. catch up. Right. Catch up. We're trying to yeah. catch up. Yeah. What's the problem in that? I'll tell you, one of my really good friends is the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and you know you can only imagine during pandemic slash George Floyd, how many conversations I had with executives that reached out to me to be on their boards. It was <laughs> mind blowing. I was like, damn. I've had 10 plus companies ask me to sit on boards. Like, should I take advantage of the opportunity because there is misrepresentation of people like you and I in these boardrooms? Yeah, I should. But also like, is, are you doing this because that's truly what you wanna do? Are you doing it with intent? Or are you doing it because now it's mandated because society's forcing you or asking you to do that? And this CEO said, no, like when I go out, I have to hire people of color with intent, and that's okay. And it was a very uncomfortable, comfortable conversation. I think we need to have more of that. People just need to recognize that this is coming from a place of anger or hate when we speak. It's coming from a place of history and understanding of what we've been through and for you to empathize with that and then meet me in the middle. Have you spoken to Kyrie? since all of this started? I have not. I reached out to him. I have gotten no response, and that's okay. Like, I, all of it is, um, all of it is different. You know, every relationship, like, I, relationship I have with Kevin Durant on that team is very different. My relationship with Kyrie is different. The relationship that I have with Joe and Clara Sai, different. Mm. 
right? And even that's going to deserve a conversation. We're eventually supposed to speak. When that happens, I don't know. But I, I also have courtside seats. Yeah. So, you know, for me, I, I think there's a lot that's going on just about where our country is. And I think also people looking at their situation about what happens over in China and the relationship between media and China. We've seen that with Daryl Morey. I feel like I have to be extremely strategic with what I say and how I say it and when I say it because I've been put in a lot of precarious situations. And it's hard to thread a needle every time, man. It's tiring. Yeah. It really is. And there were a lot of things that happened during George Floyd where I didn't feel like I could talk about before, and then I was allowed to speak about, while other things were happening in other countries that I didn't feel like I had the same leeway to speak about. It's fucking frustrating. That's hard, man. We're athletes, and it's, it's a, there's always something you're trying to get across. There's always something you're trying to achieve. Your goal in this, is it, is it still there? Your goal in having that voice, is it still there? Is it going in the right direction? You know, I used to think back in the day before I almost passed that like I, I had to have this sense of direction about like who I wanted to be and what I wanted to stand for. But it was more, I guess, my, my athlete mentality. And I think what I've learned since is that I've grown in so many different ways that I'm multi-hyphenate. And that the direction of my voice and what I want to achieve as it relates to leaving my mark in this world is going exactly where God's purpose of where we're supposed to be. I love it. Like this is that, so I, I go back to purpose, Jenny. I talk about this before, man. Like, and I'm not up here sitting here saying I have all the answers. I do not. I'm not up here saying that I'm trying to become the leader. I'm just being me. I'm trying to speak about the things I don't know and ask for the right guidance, but I'm up here trying to learn. I'm trying to read and I'm trying to have conversations and I'm trying to bring people together while also at the same time, I'm trying to create more positions for people that look like you and I and RC to be in positions to hold other people accountable, to create generational wealth. So in 20, 30 years, we can sit up here and say, like J.R. Smith said one time, man, it's, um, you got people that got net worths over two, $300 million. When do we start doing more group epic economics that we can own a lot more mm-hmm. and that we can reach back and help and elevate knowledge-wise and help uplift and create more equality for us all? That's important to me. My kids are mixed, but my kids are seen black. That's where I am, and I'm very comfortable, even though everybody tells me, be careful. Like, that's what a lot, ever since I made that post, the amount of people that have told me to be careful, it's been overwhelming. It's actually scary. Like, even when I posted just being on, you know, like the Breakfast Club back in the day and talked about Paranomics, a book I read by Claude Anderson, told multiple, be careful about talking about that publicly. It can insinuate, you know, anger. I'm like, I'm just talking about what I've learned. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, it's a needle that needs to be threaded. 
We're speaking about where your voice is today. Anybody who grew up in your era of basketball, as I did as a fan, they understand that every time you say, when I almost passed away, what you mean. Like, I, I could go right back to it every time. When you take off on the motorcycle, you rev your engine so you could see the exhaust. What was it, a Yamaha R6, R6 with red accents, I believe too. you wrote in uh, Life is Not an Accident. And you hit the pole, you say it's slow motion, you're spinning in the air, you're on the ground, pounding the grass, saying, I threw it all away. And you say, Kevin, your manager at the time, is, is running towards you and doing what we all do when one of our friends or our loved ones is in a bad spot, lying to them, telling you it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. uh, you not being able to feel the lower half of your body at first, and then as you wrote in your book, then it turned into like it was on fire. At that, at that moment, how could you see anything else but what you were in? Because you turned that into this. But if you take us back there, how could you ever imagine any of this could exist? I didn't. I'm not sure I would be sitting with you guys if I was just another hooper. I might have went on to make 100 million, 200 million. But there's no way I would have any depth. Like, I think one of the things that people don't understand, but you guys do, I don't know how you guys felt this way, but I'm sure you had to. Remember when um, David Stern called my name in the draft, right? And it was like, with the second pick, the Chicago Bulls select Jay Williams. And as I was walking up to the podium to shake his hand, I'm looking back on my family, and I'm like, yo, we got drafted. Mm -hmm. Like, we made it. Like all the conversations I heard my dad about being the only black executive or at Amex and the challenges he had and growing up the stories and my mom being from Elyria, Ohio and talk about the struggles that she had with her mom. It was like, yo, we have made it. So I think in that moment, it's the level of disappointment, RC, because I love hoop, I love basketball. It was more about the opportunity I had that due to my own ego, I put myself in that position to jeopardize not only my dreams, but my parents' dreams. I think that, that was the thing that led me to depression more than anything. And also, I was what I did. I was a basketball player. I never really had any experiences that forced me to think about who I wanted to be or what I wanted to stand for. I was too busy trying to achieve my goal. With that depression, because I've heard you talk about that a number of times, but I've never, never heard you go into it. You say, I'm depressed, I'm depressed. What that depression, what was that? Like, what was the worst? Everybody talk about rock bottom. You say I was depressed and you admit that. What brought that on and where was the worst place you've ever been? I mean, so when you walk down the street, do people recognize you to a degree and say, what's up? Yeah. Like there's a level of appreciation for that. I'm sure like we all get endorphins off of that, right? So that's all I had known before. Like, yo, you, pff, 
You two-time national player? <laughs> right. Yo. I'd have done the same thing if I saw you. <laughs> right? I did the like, same like, thing when you walked in the door, bro. I didn't think about myself like that, Chair. Bro, that's how we met. I was like, I was like, Jay Will, dog. I was like, I, and I was like, man, remember Juan Dixon and you? Like, I was like, hey, I was going through it all, dog. <laughs> that's the only way I'd known life to be. Yeah. And I worked my ass off for it. So for then all of a sudden, for me not to know who I was without what I did, because I wasn't sure, like, I mean, I got this long ass scar, man, that comes all the way up to here. I got scars on the inside. I still got drop foot when I work. Like, I, I split my pelvic symphysis open 14, 15 inches. Ooh. My lower portion of my body didn't work for multiple years, which was humbling and, like, humiliating within itself for a very long time. It was... That look went from like, yo, you that bad boy. Like, yo, you, you damn, you fucked up. Mm. Like that within itself, man, was debilitating to me. I didn't know how to, yet alone navigate other people away from that conversation, how to get myself out of it. So you know how we are. We are obsessive compulsive people. Yep. You know, when I go on set and if I don't say something right, I'm like, God damn it, I knew I should have. Just like you were talking about RC. I'm like, so, I man, get so Stephen mad. Stephen A's ass jumped in. I knew I should just <laughs> shut his ass down. And like you start going yeah. over plays in your mind about how you should have did it. And for me, how could I not live in that relentless cycle over and over and over again about what about my ego at that time didn't feel like it had enough? Like it was this insatiable appetite that I had to do things my way because I wanted to prove to people that I was my own man, I can make my own decisions. And people also don't talk about that power dynamic. Like your mom and dad, your family, they support you all up until this point, but then my mom and dad, they work for me. Mm. Like it also brings a lot of things to the forefront emotionally, right? I had some issues with my dad. We had some domestic violence in my house. I didn't really understand how it even got to that point, but there's a power play here, man. So for me, it was all about who has the power? Oh, I got the power. So that led me to almost pass. So that led me to a crazy state. Two stakes at suicide that were unsuccessful. So I don't think it was until I learned that other people had similar pain to what I had. They just didn't know it because they could suppress it. They could just blend in with society and keep moving. Whereas me, I was forced to address it because people forced me to talk about it. Yo, so what happened? Yeah. Like, I'm at a bar trying to have a drink. RC, I'm trying to have one of our little beers, you know, I sit down. <laughs> Jay Will, yo, take me through it. I'm like, damn, you see me here on the date? You're going to ask me to take <laughs> me through it? <laughs> right. <laughs> I can't even take myself through it. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, so I, I think it was just, I think I was the first step in the process. So RC, like fast forward in like five or six years afterwards, where I was like, okay, like my, my lawyer went through a really bad divorce where his wife just left him for somebody that worked at a hedge fund. Just came home, all her stuff was gone. I was like, damn, that's your accident. You've been, th that's, your, that's your accident, right? Or if somebody tears their ACL, like that could be, if that's the worst thing that's ever happened to you, that's easy for me to say, well, that's not the worst that can happen to you, but for you, that might be the worst thing that ever happened to you. That might be your accident. That might send you into a state of depression. You might feel like you never got a chance to achieve your dreams due to your knee neck coming back and bouncing back to the same degree you used to be. So once again, like that connective tissue, that was the first time I started to see it, where I'm like, oh, this is the way for people to understand my pain because we all got it to some form or fashion. That rehabilitation process, because 
You mentioned the re, you know, you mentioned the physical injuries, right? We all know, man, when when something is when something is taken away from you like ball, that's like death. Like, like it, it truly is. I don't think people understand the mourning period it is. I try to explain to folks all the time my fascination with football, right? Because people, you know, like people are like, oh, it's a game. You play with a ball. Ooh. No. It's life. It was my life. The first time anybody ever gave it to me, I fell in love with it. Floyd's been on the show. And if you ever see Floyd's grandson on social media, he just runs around in boxing gloves, punching things. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And like there, there was a video of him the other day that goes viral. He's standing in front of the, the, I guess the punching bag or whatever. And he's, you know what I mean? Like nobody taught him to do that. He saw his, he saw his grandfather do it. And now he's falling in love with it. Everybody in my family played football. That's what we did. And honestly, you almost felt like if you couldn't play, Clearly, your daddy ain't your daddy. Because mm. all of us could do it. Yeah, to get a blood test. Yeah, like that ain't, that is not my cousin. That ain't my he cousin. He's not my cousin. If, if, we play, if, we, if, we, if we pick a team and I don't pick you, your daddy ain't my daddy brother. You know what I'm saying? And so, and, and you lose that, Jake, and you have to deal with the mental anguish. You have to deal with the emotional anguish. And you're putting and piecing yourself back together. When did it truly click for you that Jason David Williams, full government name, is dead? Man, you give a social security number too? Nah, I didn't know it. <laughs> if they'd have had it on the internet, I'd have looked it up though. And now Jay Williams has to move on and become someone different. Writing my book, like really writing it, like chapter by chapter and dealing with my own issues and trying to undress myself in the public to a degree. It was the most cathartic thing I've ever done for myself in my life because I had to send my book to different people. And first off, my book, people didn't want to publish it. And I was like, that's such a disservice to the opportunity that I've been given because I remember we were taking around all these different publishing companies, and they're like, well, if you just wait 10, 15 years, we need this book to have uh, an ending towards it. I'm like, nah, this shit right here is the beginning. Mm. Like, this is a, mm. another life, and that life deserves to get documented, but also, I have to tell what I deem to be my truth. That's important to me. And I think going through that process, RC, I saw, you know, when you're... I didn't spend a lot of time reflecting or thinking. It has to be similar in football because the game moves so fast that you're always on to, I got to get myself, like, oh, I, I missed that fumble, but it's third down now, third and six, we got to get a stop, mm -hmm. right? Or quarterback throws a bad pass. Okay, we turn the ball over. That was interception. You know, next time I get the ball, like, I got to get myself in that play. So you, you got quick memory loss. Yeah. I lived a lot of my life that way. So I didn't really spend time reflecting on relationships, why I moved certain ways, why I said certain things. I was just going. So I think being forced to address that by myself and talk myself through that was the first time I ever spent time with myself, dog. I never spent time with myself to know who I was and who I wanted to be. I was always going. The domestic violence thing, man, you, you, you said it earlier. 
I've heard you talk, it's in the book, and I heard you talk about it in another interview that I watched. A lot of us are creatures of our environment, you know, nature-nurture type thing. Just as a teaching moment, how do you break that? How, how do you break, like, you're seeing domestic violence, and that's not the right way to go about life. That's not the right way to go about marriage. I've never seen it, and I don't, you know, not going to hit my wife. But to see that in your household and now break that for your kids, what's the thought process there? How do you break that for people that are, that are watching? Damn, that's a deep question, Shannon. Um, it's always hard because my relationship with my father has flourished so much since we were forced to address some things. I didn't really understand how that could even happen, you know? But I still love my father. My father has sacrificed a lot for me to be in this position that I am today. And without his tutelage, without his leadership, I'm nowhere close to the husband or father that I am today. And I still have a lot to learn. But we learn a lot from people. We learn a lot about what we want to be. We learn a lot about what we don't want to be. And I don't look at any human being as perfect. Now, that's not acceptable. Domestic violence is not acceptable. But it's still my family. And my mother and my father are still together. And that is something that will always linger in their relationship. And I think for my wife and I, having active conversations and actually allocating time for where we both came from and what we learned from it is so important to where we want to go. You can even hear my voice. Like, it's hard for me even to address because Words have repercussions. And my kids will read about that in my book. My kids will see this interview. And what I would tell my kids is that life isn't this or that. Life is very complicated. And that wasn't right. That was very wrong. And it changed me as a young kid, seeing my mom pick me up at my school with her face beaten and her eyes black and her lips swollen changed me as a young man. It made me want to protect my mother at all costs. Almost stayed in Jersey to go to school and turned down an opportunity to go to Duke just because I wanted to be there in case something happens and couldn't even articulate that at that time. So that's still something that I live with. It's still something that when Tensions get high between my parents. I feel like I need to diffuse. But at the end of the day, I have to respect their relationship and that they choose to still be together. And I love them individually. And I want them to make the best decisions for them. I think there's also a part of me that I've learned as being the only child is that I, I was brought here to create my own. And I lived with a lot of that pain for a very long time. 
And now what I do is when I feel that and I sense it, I redirect all my energy towards what's right in front of me, and that is my opportunity to create what that experience is gonna be like for my children and how they're gonna see me interact with their mother and how they're gonna see us handle confrontation and feel us talk through that and set an example for them on how it should be done. I think that's the only thing I can say about you. Like it's, um, it still hurts me to think about that because my mother's still in pain from it. And that, that will never, she will never be released from that. Nor will my father in his own way. That is probably, I think, the, the first time we've had someone go into depth uh, with their experiences in that. Uh, my parents are still married. And I think as most parents try to do, they, they try to keep things uh, away from us. Uh, if, there, if there's things that continue to happen or if there are things that become habitual, they can't, hmm. and you know it. I grew up in a very interesting space where my mom and dad were my best friends. And they probably talked to me like I was way too adult. You know, and Chance met my, my pops, man. Just like I tell people all the time. I like his daddy more than him. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that, that was, but like, that's like, that's legit yeah, yeah. what everybody says. Yeah. And very much like you say, though, like, I know he's not perfect, you know? And my mom sometimes felt like she was. Mm -hmm. And when she would tell me the things she dealt with and the things that she went through internally and continuing to find her way, it was the day, those were the days I realized everyone was human. And I think all we can do is take as much from what we learned. And usually what you see is people go one way or the other. There are people who grew up seeing that and that becomes a part of who they are. And they continue the cycle of whatever it is. And then there are other people who say, because I saw that and I see the pain that both my loved ones are in. I'm in no way trying to diminish your mother's pain, but like you said, your father also- He's in pain as well. Has to live with that. Yes. When you look at your family, you know, you mentioned, you know, your, your new daughter, uh, Penelope, and, and your wife, and you know, you, you did it the right way though. Like, you got married late, and you got married when you were ready, and now you have these young kids and this wife. What has that changed about you though? I mean, my wife forces me to address stuff directly. Like there's no, I don't know if y'all if felt this before. Um, here's my wife in a nutshell though. My wife is like, oh, I just saw you sit up there and talk to Ryan Clark for an hour. We haven't talked about that. <laughs> I'm like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> I, I meant to talk to you about, yeah. <laughs> like, but it, 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 it's personal for her. Yeah. Right. You know, for us, there was a lot of my wife, even from the beginning, that would um, have real conversations about like real, because I came off a relationship that was extremely volatile. And volatility and Jason David Williams, nope, don't go together. Because I felt like that was leading me down a path where there was a lot of random stuff happening that I, that was turning into a reflection on me. Mm -hmm. And it would take me to places where I'm like, that's not who I am. I, I gotta and move in a direction that I know is who I want to be. And I think that was important. I think my wife 
is one of the strongest people I know. I mean, look, man, I'm, I'm gonna sit over here and tell y'all, like, you guys all got kids. Like to, to watch all three of my kids come out of my wife's body mm. Mm. and to watch her now, like, you know, I get a little bit frustrated when I live in this world. Like, I know being a man is being a man, but like this male egocentric world, like, oh, Jay, you have three kids. I'm, you know, things are tough. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you something I never told anybody. I felt like I was reprimanded for taking paternity leave. Think about that. I felt like having my second child during a pandemic while being on the road, working my ass off to get to where I'm at, that taking a month off after I had caught COVID, quarantined during the NBA finals, that there was something wrong with me because I wanted to spend time with my son. I just had a, a son. I almost passed away. Do you know how long I've thought about if I bring a young black man into this world? What kind of weight that has on me? Now, I had a lot of weight with my daughter, too. But this, to me, it was like, I want to spend time with my family. And I watched my wife go through breastfeeding every two and a half hours. And all of a sudden, like, it was wrong of me to be tired or to be an active participant in helping my wife raise my family. Like, that was used against me. Like, I don't like to work. I'm like, hold on a second. I love to grind. I love to hustle more than anybody. I'm out here trying to create enterprise. I slept in my car to do ESPNU games and then turn around to fly back on a connection flight to stay up until two o'clock in the morning to do it again. I'm doing a morning show that requires me to leave every day at 3.30 in the morning for my house to be on air for five and a half, six hours and then turn around to come back during the pandemic to do NBA countdown until one o'clock in the morning. Should I be rewarded that I want to spend some time with my family? But we don't live in that society no more. You can't be an active father. You like it's used against you, Chad. You ain't have the baby. Oh, you didn't have the baby? What are yeah, you talking that's about? That's the argument. You, you didn't have, have the baby. baby? You ain't breastfeeding. You ain't got you know, no memory. You have memory glands, whatever the hell they call but it. Me staying, but me staying up with my wife, <laughs> bringing her all of her pumping material every two and a half, three hours, me checking in on my child and sleeping in my child's room, you know, me trying to bring family members in, dealing with their dynamics, because they bring different feelings and emotions energies. to the table, yeah. energies that you have to balance. Me dealing with my wife who's going through postpartum, mm -hmm. my wife is just as determined and just as hungry to be in business like I am. She had to take a back seat. Should I not be involved with her about how she's dealing with that aspect of her emotions? That's my partner. Yeah. I don't even know how that's gonna be treated when people hear about that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so, again, that's not me being less of a man. That's me being more of a man. Yeah. That's me being an active father and an active husband. And that should be rewarded, not reprimanded. Yeah, I took six weeks. With recent, with Chad, I have a two-year-old. I took six weeks off of work, and I felt the same way. It's like, you, we talk about being a strong, strong black man, a strong man and all that stuff. That's being a strong man. That's me being able to stay up all night so my wife can get eight hours of sleep because she's been pumping and breastfeeding all day. That's a strong man. And that's what I think a lot of people don't, don't, don't want to put on a pedestal of what a strong man is. 
make money, support the family, you know, uh, have insurance and all. What about being there for your family? So, bro, from my side, you took a month, I took a month and a damn half when I had my last child. Ziff Recruiter is amazing. It's like in sports. If you're a GM, you got to do everything to get your players to get the best talent you need. Ziff Recruiter can be your GM for your business. They're going to find the best people, make it easy for you to continue to thrive in your business. And it's tough out there. You got to find the best person. You're always looking for new talent. You're looking for to upgrade your business. Upgrade with ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's an upgrade. You can upgrade with ZipRecruiter. Let them be your GM and build your team. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. When you're ready to build a winning team, let ZipRecruiter help you build the perfect roster. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. When you're ready to build a winning team, let ZipRecruiter help you build the perfect roster. You can try it for free. That's right, for free today at ZipRecruiter.com slash DraftKings. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash D-R-A-F-T-K-I-N-G-S. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I know like two people in the world who truly don't care about what people think of them. I work with one all the time, and one of them raised me. <laughs> like, be honest, and that's why they get along so well. I love like, like, those are the two people that I know, like, truly don't care. And I was struggling with it because I was like, why, when people tweet me or say these things, why do I have an issue with it? Like, why does it bother me? And I realized what my problem was. I didn't have a problem of being liked, disliked, whatever it was, I didn't have an issue with that. What I had an issue with was being misunderstood. Right? So if I say something and you can run it back to me and what you digested is exactly what I intended and you say, but you're still a piece of crap and I hate you. I can go. Cool. I, Got it. I respect that. Like, we ain't the same type of people. That's okay with me. But when somebody says, well, you said this and you meant this and you did this. I always, and that's why I used to get in so much Twitter beef. Like, if you saw it, it wasn't about what the person's final decision about how they felt of me was. It was about how they got to it. I would only defend my points. No, I didn't say this, or no, I didn't say that, or no, I didn't mean this, or that never happened. And I would quote myself and do all this stuff. And I was like, why in the hell am I wasting my day arguing with this idiot? Hmm. And so what I had to learn was, go do it for me. And honestly, it was 2016. It was when the protests were going on in the NFL. And, uh, you know, carries on to 17, and we're in a production meeting, and they asked me a question. You know how it goes. And they say, you know, we're going to bring this up. And, I, and it was about the protest and something that was said by the president and this and this. And so I gave my answer. And their next question was, are you going to say that on TV? And I was like, yes, absolutely. And their answer was, well, we're not going to ask you. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, that's cool. Because I was, I wanted to be me. 2020, you fast forward it. George Floyd, uh, Breonna Taylor, we've gone through so much, like times are changing. And every time I was on Get Up, every time I was on First Tip, somebody would call me afterwards. Gosh, your voice is so needed. Thank you so much. And I would be very honest, because you know me. I said the exact same thing four years ago and none of y'all wanted to hear it. 
But for me, that was the validation I needed because it was the validation of me. I had said to me that everything you've always been is not right or wrong. Everything you've always been is you. And if I'm comfortable with me, then why does it matter what other people think of me? And fast forward that though, the freeing thing about that is, now when I'm uncomfortable with me, I know I'm dead ass wrong, sure. right? Now when, when, somebody, when somebody does read it back to me and when they read it back, it's read the same way I said it and I'm hearing it from a different person's perspective, I'm like, yeah, that's not right. You need to educate yourself. You need to be more aware. You need to listen. You need to change. And I think that's the way I approach it now is that unless I get to sit here and talk like this, I'll never be able to say enough right here or in the 24 seconds they give me on TV. But I know what I think and I know what I feel. You, you shouldn't even answer it because like you really don't care. Like I've never, it is. <laughs> it, it, it's freeing not to care. <laughs> Yeah, no, it is not to give a damn about what people think about you is freeing. And like RC said, honestly, bro, if you would hit me and tell me something, I would listen because I respect you as a man. Just like RC, we've actually talked about like RC's checked me before Mm. and I've told him what I say. I said, bro, if that came out of anybody else's mouth, I wouldn't listen to it. But you, my dude, and and I care about your opinion of me and I care about your opinion of the world. But yeah, all that Twitter, all the people, everybody that tweets or Instagrams me, I think they are a 60 year old man living in their parents' basement. <laughs> I honestly, Jay Will, I, I. Oh, no, I, I know. You don't have to say honestly. I, I feel I, I see I, it. I in see your a face. dude eating ramen noodles and Cheetos <laughs> next to him in a dark basement tweeting me. That's what I see. And I'm like, and when they, when they say something crazy to me, I say, meet me at the Walmart on Griffin and Flamingo. It's a Walmart five minutes from my house. If you want to call me a bitch, call me a bitch to my face. No they one's won't ever, do it. No one's no, ever took me it. up on the offer. But that's what I think. Like, I think it's a very freeing thing. I respect social media. I love the followers and all. Like, I understand the branding, what, the branding and what yeah. it does for us. But yeah, when somebody starts talking crazy, yeah. yeah. It's cool. And Freddie and Ryan, I argue with them all the time. I'm like, who cares what John 45677 says? <laughs> and RC will be here. <laughs> I'm like, who gives a damn about John 45677? Uh-huh. But he, but I, I've gotten better. You, and honestly, you are honestly, the only thing that I've done since this that I argued about was Russ. That's it. Yes. The reason was because it was, and I don't, I don't in any way want to like disregard any other people. It was our people, and they were, and they weren't wrong, but they misunderstood us. Yeah. And so that was like, and too, I was defending you. Like I, I didn't care what they thought about me. I was like, no, that's not what he freaking said. That's not what he meant. I think though, Jay, like the the question I would have to ask you, like earlier you mentioned being called the Uncle Tom. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had Swag on the show, and he actually laughed. Like I was called and Uncle Tom and a racist about the exact same thing. 
You know what I'm saying? I, was like, Possibly. Yeah. I don't know if that, that don't work. That don't work. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, guys, I can't be both of them simultaneously. Yeah. You know, you, you grew up much like me. Like, I went to a private school, you know, but mm-hmm. my friends didn't. Um, I... I have always spoken this way, but I'm from New Orleans. You've met people from New Orleans before. Like, not all of them speak this way in their accents. Like, I go home now and people are like, where are you from? You know, where did you live? Where did you grow up? And now when you say you're, you searched for an identity, you search for a foundation, you're continuing to try to find out, you know, what it is that makes you you, that transition coming forward on TV, how hard has that been? Right, because you know, you heard like Jalen talk about Grant from Duke, you know. Oh, Jalen, the- that was my teammate. That was my, I mean, my first time I ever, I missed some free throws down the stretch, we won the game, Jalen called me a choke artist in the media the next day. Like, so obviously I, I felt a lot of that from Jay Rose, but I, I recognize that being black isn't being monolithic, man. Like it's, it's not one thing, it's a variety of things and I even launched a show on NPR called The Limits because I wanted to explore about what being black meant to different people. People from Africa, people from different parts of the country and how that resonated with them and their upbringing. So I think as it relates to me and media, man, I think one of the games I've learned how to play, I try to be surgical. I try to plant seeds. I try to create a web and see if people pay attention. Like one of the webs, like in one of the seeds I planted, I was like, all right, so the first day, even on the Kyrie tip, it was like, oh, I redirected the conversation towards the platform. Mm-hmm. I'm like, so a lot of people were angry. Where's the anger here? And now it feels like people are like, well, hold on a second. Barnes and Noble is pulling off the documentary and it allows you to question other different things. But then I, I want to now take that and say, to all the people that are angered about this being on the platform, how about the thousands of pieces of racial tropes that have already existed and been profited and promoted for a very long time that none of you guys have aimed any of your attention towards? How about the tropes towards black people that people have laughed at, created movies? Now, I'm not gonna sit up here and say that a lot of it even hasn't been self-inflicted. You know, in my, in my house, like we weren't allowed to use the N-word and call each other those kind of names because that was seen as a derogatory thing. Mm-hmm. And also when you use it, you allow other people or you give them subconsciously the permission to potentially use it. So my dad was like, nah, we just, nah, uh-uh. So, like, some of that is on us, too. And let's be real about that, right? Like, so, when we're selling our music, and I understand it's part of the culture, like, but when that perpetuates a narrative that we want to change and be at the forefront of, we have to look ourselves in the mirror. Now, we can force other people to, too, but we have to do the same in return to understand where we really want to go. I think that's important, man. The conversation got so good, you know, you come in with, like, this outline, <laughs> and you're like, you know, yeah, it mean, like, me and Chan in the car, okay, I'm going to hit this Chan, and then, depending on what he say, like, we come with that, you know, then we gonna flip it. Jaden asked questions, like, we didn't- I can't help it, because I feel like I've, I've been kicking it with y'all for the longest, yeah, yeah. I love it. So, like, but his, I, I've been wanting to ask you this, bro. Like, we always talked about, like, how I saw your game, explosive, quick, could shoot. You cover the league right now, man. And we had this guy on the show. I watched Ja against the Pelicans, and they lost, right? One, he got the, his back turned. He know the dude from the throw it in, turns around, catches it, hits the behind the back, looks around, the little the finger roll in the lane. Then he goes, he hit him with the, I'm coming here, I switch it to the left, yam, half court shot, all these things happen. When you look at him and you think about 
the the Jay Wills, the, the the D Roses, the Russell Westbrooks, and how this game is continuing to go. Is he a guy who could be and will be the face of the league? He is the face of the league. Oh, he's face of the league, man. Ooh, John Morant, Morant right so, now. So, look, so a couple of things. Let, let's get it. Let's dig into this, right? Obviously, the league is an international brand, right? Right. So you saw Giannis do this the other day. He gave his international team. I think it was. Him, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, Luka Doncic, and Evan Fournier against any NBA team, give them the business. I, you put, I don't care who you put, like LeBron, all those guys, KD, it would be a one hell of a game. I understand the international presence, right? But I also understand, like I came from playing for New Jersey. And when you're around culture, culture feels a different kind of way, the culture of the United States. Two different things. You have an international brand, then you have the culture brand. <laughs> right. You tell me John Moran ain't the face of the culture brand. Sure. You tell me about the way he the way he moves, the way he plays, the way he celebrates. The way he celebrates way he with talks. his teammates. Yeah. The way he owns the city of Memphis, dog. We're talking about Memphis, Tennessee. He's like, this is my city. Like in an age and day where everybody wants to jump out and go to like the major markets. He's like, nah, this is it right here. Like that says something to me. That speaks volumes to me. Nobody even knew who Desmond Bain was. Desmond Bain is balling, but like Jaws, like, yeah, let's go. Let's, let's create that. Like that says something about what I deem to be the face of the league. And I, I know like LeBron and KD and Steph, like obviously Steph, you can say, yeah. Steph, the Americanized, I, I, I got all. And Steph is brilliant, best player, one of the best players in the game ever. But to me, like, where the game is going, that's him. That's him to me. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to ask about Bron and him. Like, I don't think Ja gets the credit nationally that he deserves. Because he's in Memphis. But isn't that a flaw? Like, if, if Ja was in L.A., if Ja was in New York, he would be a bigger, he would be bigger. He would be the face of the NBA. I can't, I disagree with you that Jaws a face of the NBA. I really don't think he is. Who is? LeBron James still. I mean, yeah, of course. I'm, I'm just saying for like the face that I see coming to the, be the that. The future? Be, well, I, th I, think, I think the problem it, is, is this it, though. But can he be, but he, can he be in Memphis though? I, yeah. the, the small markets, bro. I really do not what, believe what the he small said, markets. Though, what he said that. to me though is probably the most telling, he said, there's the, the face of the United States and the culture, right? And then there's international, because it is an international game. The reason it's an international game is because of the dream team, right? The dream team is made, and now kids get to see Michael Jordan up close and all of those things. Michael Jordan was the face of the United States, the face of the culture, and the international That's face of basketball. All three, yeah. holy trinity. Right? I don't think that every, anybody ever gets to be any of those, because now the international game has grown. The United States chooses their face differently. Hmm. And the culture, we brand our own. You don't have to be the best at it. It was Jordan, and I would say then Kobe. Yeah. yeah. Shaq was Shaq was that guy. Mm -hmm. And now Braun. See, I don't think Shaq was, I don't think Shaq was ever that you guy. You don't think Shaq was that, that, but I don't think Ja can get to where Jordan, Kobe, and Braun are. I so don't know Braun's turned into like one of the founding fathers to me. Like that's what I like. Like it's really it's like it, 
face Mount it, carry that mantle for so long, man. Say don't use Mount Rushmore, but if you're putting, yeah. like if you're putting faces up of of the NBA, you put him right there. James Come on, there. man. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I mean, I, I love Bron too. I, I love Bron. It just and it's still what he's doing at the age of 38 is unprecedented, man. It's crazy. But you just looking at that next wave that's about to hit hard. That's why I said like the face of the culture. For me, I have to be like this, right? Like there are certain people where I'm like, when I see LeBron, I'm like, okay, like it's LeBron. Like I'm like, it's LeBron, cool. Like KD, I'm like, it's KD. KD seven feet tall, like give me all that. I'm like, damn, that's not real to me. That's like some alien stuff. I see Ja, I'm like, oh, what? I wouldn't know Ja. Ja was walking down the street, had a cap on. I'm like, there goes that little fella. Yeah. <laughs> then He's I go, I see him type. on the court. We had him on. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, he up there, like, with the, he's doing alien stuff in the normal human body. Like, that's not, like, even Luca, you ever seen Luca straight up? Look at Luca's 6'7. Mm-hmm. Luca big. He moved, like, yeah. Ja seems like the common everyday folk that's sky and in the air doing all, he, there's a Michael Jordan S to him. I love it. Now, I'm not saying that translates into white America the mm-hmm. same way others do. Yeah. But I know what part of America that I was born and raised in, Mine it translates too. to that. Yeah. yeah, Man, I think, bro, this was, for us, a long time coming. I initially wanted to get you on because I just wanted to tell your story because that's how we became close. You know, we sat down in the green room first. We, we met at the bar at Doubletree in Bristol, and we drank beers and talked. And, you know, I remember when the conversation ended, he was like, man, a lot of that, I've never really told to a lot of people. And I think that was something that formed a bond with us where I'm always cheering for you, I'm always rooting for you. And I feel the same exact thing anytime I'm around you, anytime Jay Will pops up on my phone. Uh, You know what I think, man. I think that if things were different, we are talking about you and what you did in your basketball career the same way we talk about Ja and a lot of these other guys. But if it took some of the things you've gone through and if it took you not being able to be that to make you this J-Will, my J-Will, then I'm not grateful that it happened, but I am blessed to know this human more than anything in the world, man. So we appreciate you. We didn't have to ask you that your biggest pivot was. We've seen a lot of it. So thank you, bro. Well, I appreciate you, man. The last thing I'll say, I am grateful that shit happened to me. Yeah. I'm grateful because I feel like what's next and what's about to go down in my life is probably gonna be one of the biggest things I've ever done. But it's where I am. I feel like, I feel like a lot of us are here. We're at this inflection point where it's like, where is media going? Do we wanna continue to be the people that feel like they can't talk about certain things or do you wanna be that person that feels free and open to talk about what you see? And that's important to me. That's a wrap. My dog. You got some more babies on the way? No. (laughs) No. No. Don't say that out loud. Hold up. Limitless. Take a semi cap pin in it. I thought they here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. On the mission, get me up. Knowing me, I got the key. On the vision, I can trust. Trust. Limitless. Take a semi cap pin in it. I thought they here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up.